0: Hello, you're listening to Do Yourself A Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better, and each episode I'll be talking to my guests about their epiphanies, their inspirations, and the magic of their workflow. And
1: I'm here with Caroline Plumer. Hello, Caroline. Hello,
0: how are you? I'm good, thank you. Welcome to Do Yourself a Favour.
1: Thanks very, very much.
0: Would you like to tell everybody a bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So, as you've already said, I'm Caroline Plumer. I'm a BACP accredited therapist. So, I work with individuals, couples, businesses, and I've also got a team that I work with who do a similar thing to me. So, we're a lovely little online. Wellness Hub, offering therapy, professional development coaching, stress and anxiety management coaching. And that's my company called CPPC London.
0: Fabulous. And do yourself a favor is all about things you've learned and uh, learning from experience. And so how how your experiences have shaped you, your workflow, just kind of how you get things done, that sort of thing. So you ready to get into it?
1: Yeah. Get into it? Do
0: it. Okay, so first question uh, is what's something that you wish you'd learnt sooner?
1: I don't know whether this is I wished I'd learnt or I wish I knew. So hopefully this answers your question. But just that I am actually capable of running a business. I think it was a scary thing. I was working in a corporate job and it really wasn't something I'd ever intended to do, ever meant to do, but I'd fallen into it mid-recession. And I got to the stage where I couldn't hack doing something that I really didn't enjoy anymore and through a series of wonderful and bizarre events I ended up retraining as a therapist and that was scary enough going it alone as a therapist and going into private practice and needing to recruit clients but when I first started thinking about well actually I want to pitch stuff to businesses and I'd like to have a team I really held myself back and I tried to take the approach of speaking to other people that were already running businesses and can I kind of sneak in that way and work for them and run their mental health branch or whatever it would be, their kind of wellness arm of their business? Because I just had this belief that I would not be capable of working out what to do by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think maybe the fact that nobody wanted me to go in and help their business should have told me something. (laughs) But the um, great opportunity that it did provide was that I had to figure it out for myself. I had to work out how I was going to recruit a team, run a team, what they would actually mm-hmm. do, how it would work, what the setup would be. And I did it and it wasn't anywhere near as traumatic as I thought it would be. And pretty soon after setting it all up, you know, I had a team and the team had clients and yeah, with hindsight. In a way, it's much nicer to step back and go, okay, I've done that. I did that by myself. I really didn't think I could, but I did. And I'm definitely still a massive fan of collaborative work. You know, it can get quite lonely, running your own business, doing everything by yourself, but just because I like working in a team and I work collaboratively, maybe that's my best way of working Not my favorite way of working doesn't mean I can't do things by myself. I am capable of doing things by myself.
0: At what point? When do you think you realised that you were doing it? When did it start to feel like, oh, actually, I'm that's 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 me now? When, when did you start to believe it?
1: Um, I mean the the decision to start doing it by myself was almost I was kind of backed into that. I got to the point where I was like, no one's ready to collaborate, so either I do it by myself or I don't do it at all. Mm-hmm. So. Once I realized that was the case, for the short term, I think I stopped worrying so much about whether it would work or not. Obviously, the thoughts still crossed my mind, but I just thought I need to do it and see what happens. But almost as soon as the website went live, we had some initial inquiries for the members of the team. I mean, we weren't inundated. But just one or two clients and anyone that's worked in private practice knows that when you set out, you can wait weeks or months without even getting a client. So within the first few months of the website being up and running and everybody on the team having work, I think that's when I was able to step back and say, oh, I've actually done quite a good job here. This isn't bad.
0: What what difference does it make? when it's just you versus when you're trying to do something with a team, a large group? It's like kind of how you felt about your ability and so well.
1: Um, I, I really like that sitting in a room together, coming up with ideas, and sometimes somebody will say something and it will spark a new idea for you, or maybe someone else thinks of something you didn't think of. I think there's something really interesting and exciting about that, and I'll stand by that even now. That's, for me, a much more fun interesting way of working but i think the made up difference in my mind the story that i told myself that wasn't right was you know if i have to run all the technical stuff and all the financial stuff i won't know how to do it and if i try and work out how to do it what if i don't understand you know if i can't figure it out but i was forced to figure it out and actually none of it was quite as scary <laughs> as i thought it would be so you know, there, there is a difference working in a team, that, but there's the real differences, the realities, and the things that I've made up in my head about needing to work in a team, and they're two quite different things.
0: Did you have a sense that like it was all on you? How long did you hold on to that thing of it being all you? Um,
1: so I have a group of therapists and coach that are amazing at what they do. And in that sense, I'm very hands-off. I'm not a very controlling boss. <laughs> People work. When they want to work, they fit it in around their other lifestyle. They call me if they need me, but otherwise I trust people to get on with their own caseload. But the actual running of the business, that is all still down to me. And that's that's still tough at times, and that can be a bit lonely. And also there are parts of that job that frankly, I really don't enjoy. You know, I'm not someone that enjoys sales. I'm a therapist. (laughs) I want to go to work and talk to people, you know, about deep stuff and the things that are going on for them and support them and help them. I don't want to be writing sales emails or making sales calls, but there are parts of the job that necessitate you to do things that aren't necessarily in your comfort zone or, you know, wouldn't require you to do if you were just one individual in private practice. And, you know, I've started outsourcing bits and pieces here and there but that you know that comes with its own challenges. You've still got people relying on you to kind of hold their hand and explain everything to you.
0: I think I've probably told told this story on the podcast before, but I remember going to a networking thing ages ago, meeting this this woman who's a photographer, and she she took these amazing, really bleak landscapes, you know, big sort of panoramic landscapes, black and white things. They're absolutely astonishingly good. And I'm asked how she was you know, getting on being you know being a business owner and. And she said, well, you know, I didn't decide to give up my job and spend my life walking into the middle of nowhere and take by myself and taking photographs of wilderness because I like being rude rooms talking to people about my business.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it.
0: And there is only, yeah, and I, I do, I, I think it's something that, that I've, I've kind of, running to much myself and I think anybody who starts a business does that the percentage of stuff that you have to do to support doing the thing that you enjoy doing or that's important to those percentages initially at least feel really really out of whack yeah and and I think you have to get to a point where you can then you have to get to a point where the business is bringing in enough for you to then be able to say okay now I can get to do this bit of the thing I suppose you've done it an interesting way around because you've got you know, you're a therapist, you started the business because you wanted to do therapy, and now you have people doing the therapy for you and you're kind of running the business side of things. How how does that is that feel a bit weird sometimes?
1: Not really. The majority of my day is still spent as a therapist. Now, the business would probably make more money if I spent the majority of my day doing the other stuff, but I don't really want to do that um but i mean I, i've done what i set out to do which is to create an online hub where people can access really high quality help and support um and that you know that was the aim so i, I think if i spent more time doing marketing and sales and all of the rest of it you know changes to the website technical stuff all that stuff that i have limited interest in then it would feel really weird, but I don't, I don't think there's ever going to come a day where the majority of my day is therapy because, you know, as your friend or acquaintance said, I didn't spend years training to be a therapist to cold call people or create Instagram posts. So this might
0: play to a little bit to your journey of moving from corporate and retraining as a therapist, doing your own thing. But second question that we always ask your on Do Yourself a is what was a book or a concept or a learning that you had that kind of really fundamentally changed how you saw yourself or your life or, or or what you wanted to be?
1: I mean, I would love to have some really deep and meaningful answer to this. And you would think, you know, everything that I had to read while I was training and uh, have read since, I could probably come up with some wonderful philosophical response. But I think... You know, I take a lot of inspiration, I think, from creative writing. And, and there is just a sentence from a book that sat with me for a very long time. There's a book called The Ocean at the End of the Lane by a writer called Neil Gaiman, who I think most people, even if they think they don't know who he is, they do, because so much of his stuff has been made into films and TV. Mm-hmm. But there's, I mean, the, some, the concepts in The Ocean at the End of the Lane, there are a lot of amazing big, big concepts in there. Um and I could probably talk to you for about three hours just about that book. But there is a line in there that says you don't pass or fail at being a person. And I think there's something really powerful about that. And that's something to really remember, especially in my job, to take into therapy in, in a room with someone that might feel like they're not living up to their own expectations or anyone else's expectations or that somehow your failure or your job title defines you. It doesn't work like that. You don't pass or fail at being at person.
0: I really like that. I don't think I've come across that. about Neil Gaiman one. The current favourite in in this house is, his, fortunately, the milk. His his kids, which involves space police, dinosaurs, and <laughs> that sounds and, amazing. Yeah, space police, dinosaurs, and pirates, and and some aliens who are trying to to re- renovate and interior design the earth. <laughs> um, it's um, all set against the backdrop of a guy going out to get milk. It's really, really good. And, and so I was quite happy to, to be able to introduce my 80 year old to Neil Gaiman. Yeah, well, I any Neil, Ga- Neil Gaiman on the show yet. Yeah. It's, I, I'm, I'm, I always do like it though when people bring rather than, you know, a, a, a business book or a, a mm-hmm. pop psychology book or something, cause it's quite easy to go, non-fictions for learning and fiction's for you know, mm-hmm. relaxing and, and entertainment or whatever. But there's so much you can learn about fiction from a point of view. Ideas and language and yeah. human nature and other viewpoints and so on. You don't, that aren't actually sort of, you know, facts and stuff that you would get from nonfiction books.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if you get a chance, check that book out. And the other thing that comes up in it that I, re- I mean, there's loads of stuff, but something else I really love is there's a, it's always quite a subtle message about what the love of money can do to people and it's not kind of preachy or obvious and it's good people that have got you know the best intentions but how you can get preoccupied with that in a really unhelpful way and actually that was something that was really prominent in my career transition because I had a job previously where you know I wasn't a corporate lawyer I wasn't earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a year, but I was earning fairly decent money, was on track to kind of continue to progress up. And I had to, I basically gave that up. I gave up work and studied full time. So I gave up a decent salary to pay an awful lot of money to training something quite unknown. And somebody said, or a few people said to me, are you sure you'll enjoy it? And I said, nope. And they were really horrified by that. It's like, how can I tell you I'll enjoy it when I haven't even done it yet? And I had no guarantee whether I would earn money at the end of it, whether whether I would earn even as much as I've been earning before. But it was a really great lesson in learning that my value and my worth isn't actually tied up with my salary. And, you know, I work with a lot of people that struggle with that. There is so much in this culture about how salary almost becomes... That's our value. That's the number that's mm-hmm. on our head, and that is what we're worth.
0: Yeah. How do you feel about that whole idea of you know if you if you love what you do you never work a day in your life?
1: I, I don't know what the language restrictions on this podcast are, but oh,
0: I, I think somebody swore once, and now I've got a little e thing forever. So go for it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I'll, I'll call it nonsense and by nonsense I mean <laughs> something that comes out of the back end of a bull because. Work is work and work can be hard. I love my job. I really love my job. But if I do too much or I don't take a break, I do get to the point some days where I'm like, oh, I really don't feel like doing this today. And the difference is while I'm doing it, I'm fine. I'm not clock watching. I'm not kind of down in the doldrums like I used to be at a job. And it's not a like fear or dread of going to work. It's just that I don't have the energy for this. Mm-hmm. Done too much, I need a break. So, work will always be work. I think. I think you're selling people a bit of a false idea by saying do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It's still work. Oh. You might love it, but it's different to the socialising.
0: And there's always, well, as we've touched on, there's always aspects to any work which is would are like the hygiene factors and the bits you're not you're not sure about or the bits that you enjoy less. I think it's an interesting. It's an interesting question when you, you're training people say, how hey, you know you're going to enjoy it. Well, you know, many people go into jobs that not only are they, do they not know whether they're going to enjoy or not when they start them, but who actually don't enjoy them, turn up every day.
1: Yeah. I, I suppose people ask me that though because it felt like I was taking a big risk. And I was taking a big risk. Mm. I did. I wasn't just changing jobs. I was giving up my salary and spending lots of money to do something I didn't know the outcome of. And my income during that time largely came from renting my flat out. And I was able to do that because although I was nearly 30, I moved back in with my parents. I said, I'm going to study. I'm going to come home. Sorry, mum and dad. So it was it was risky and it was giving up an awful lot. It was totally worth it, 100%. It was totally worth it. You're pleased to hear that I don't live at home anymore.
0: that—that <laughs> <laughs> was the next question. The next question is always used to screw with your So, we're moving a little bit now into the whole idea of workflow and how you get things done, and how you and how you achieve and accomplish things in your work. I've had to set some ground rules as well with this one because it, it, it otherwise everyone just kept saying their phone. So, your answer can't be your laptop or your phone, but it could be like a piece of software or an app on those things. What's something that you absolutely 100% could not live without? What is your absolute, you you need this to live and work?
1: So I feel like this is somehow the opposite of my phone and exactly the same as my phone all at the same time. So you can tell me if this is cheating. (laughs) But for appointments... I still use a paper diary. What- doesn't matter that people book stuff in online on, like, software. I still then write that appointment in my paper diary. And I get through an awful lot of paper and pens as well. Like, I don't take my notes electronically. I don't type while someone's talking to me. I make some written notes here and there. Mm-hmm. So, old-fashioned paper diary and paper and pen. And actually, if they were the only things I had to do my job, I would probably be fine. I don't I don't need anything other than that.
0: Are you a fussy paper and pen person or is it just anything that works and comes to hand? Do you have preferred anything, paper and pen?
1: Anything that works, but I have taken to like, I've got, I found a pink sparkly bell from Beauty and the Beast pen in my pen box. And I have taken to making little stars in pink pen next to things that I want to come back to next week that I've run out of time for. So there's some pink glittery notes. It's really funny making notes in sessions though. I didn't used to do it as much when I was starting the business. And I thought, has my memory just got worse? You know, is it a COVID thing? But I realized when I started the business, I had far fewer clients. Mm -hmm. And when you're speaking to maybe 20 people a week. If you don't write some stuff down, you'll never remember it all. Yeah. But the really funny thing is if you're just in a note down here and there, I've got some people, bless them, that think you're taking notes of all their like worst neuroses and <laughs> making kind of written comments about how all over the place they are. Like, why, why are you writing that in your book? Why, what have you written down now? <laughs> you're like, it's just for my memory. And actually anything really big that I think, I will say to you, because that's the purpose of us being here Mm -hmm. together. This is not my secret book where I I write things about you that you will never know and I will never tell you. That would completely defeat the purpose of what we're doing, but you just have to bear with me because my memory is somehow not what it feels like. It's not what it used to be pre-COVID.
0: But yeah, I mean, you're right. You're, you're expecting a lot if you, if you're dealing with that, that much information. Um, yeah. on, on an ongoing basis. So, just just to clarify, when you said you've got a pink sparkly Belle from Beauty and the Beast pen, that's not like a, a sort of like broad description. It is literally a Disney Disney princess pen with a yeah. Queen. Okay.
1: I mean, if there was video on this recording, I would show it to everyone. But yeah, it's just Belle from Beauty and the Beast.
0: Fantastic. I really like pen and paper. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big technical person as well, but there's some stuff that I've never really, the technology's never really clicked for me. So using the sort of like a Apple pencil and iPad for taking handwritten notes, never really stuck for me. I can't, I can't, for whatever reason, doesn't feel, because I've got a couple of use cases where I, i really suits me but the pen and paper like I have, i've had this same notepad actually i bought it on honeymoon in vietnam this, this this notebook which is though 10 years ago and it's been yeah that's and that's kind of my I, that goes everywhere when i had a corporate job that went everywhere and i carried it everywhere with me. and now it just comes from room to room in the house with me yes just different places and i, I just know if i haven't got it with me something's going to pop into my head and i'll just be flapping around looking for a pen to write something down
1: I mean, the other thing with kind of doing everything on technology, I have to hold my hands up because I'm not overly interested in gadget. I am so stingy when it comes to this type of thing. So it doesn't matter how great the latest iPad is and you can write on it and take notes. As so soon as someone says it's 1300 or £1,400 pounds, or a new iPhone's like £800 pounds a grand, I'm like, nope, I am out. No, thank you. Like, I'm just too... But it's not interesting to me, so I do not want to spend my money on it.
0: I do also think as well, though, when, when you spend large chunks of your time listening to people, which is kind of what you do, and I noticed this from when I was a manager and I used to have, have meetings with people or whatever, I always feel very conscious if I'm talking to someone who has a device. Yeah. You know, a laptop or or, or something like that. Meetings with people who are sitting with a laptop open in front of them I'm always very conscious of the fact that there's, a, there's some kind of barrier, which I don't think paper and pen doesn't feel as distancing.
1: Yeah, and I think I would go further than that. It's not just the barrier. The clicking of the keys is really off-putting, I think, and also the fact that most people can write barely looking at the paper. Not that many people can touch type effectively. So when you're talking, they're looking at the screen. I mean, it's fine in a lot of work meetings where human connection doesn't necessarily matter a great deal. But for what I do, I don't really think it's a very suitable tool.
0: No. If you've got a notepad and pen, then you know, you're not looking at Twitter or whatever, you know, it's, like, it's quite clear. But yeah, it's quite clear what you're doing. Where do you stand on electronic
1: books? What, as in like Kindle? Yeah. And um, I I do read stuff on Kindle for whatever reason. I don't think it's as enjoyable. It's not as nice as actually holding a book. But it's definitely got some eco credentials that are better than continuing to make things out of paper. But I you know I do feel quite torn about it sometimes. And here we go proof of how stingy I am again. I, I promise I'm not tight about everything. But when a Kindle at seven ninety nine, I think I paid seven ninety nine for something that's not even physically there but then that often you know then I have the eco argument in my head and that often wins out I'm like okay well I'm not contributing to the chopping down of any more trees I've got
0: a really strange relationship with electronic books and like Kindles or so I stopped buying comics several years ago and moved and tied so any comics that uh, once are uh, for the most part on on my iPad unless it's like something that is like there are certain authors that I have to buy it or artists that I have to buy like physical ones by. And the only other books that I now get, and I, I got and I went through a whole period where like my Kindle was like the way that I would read. And it's super convenient. You know, you can sort of, you know, you just throw it in your pocket and it's quite small. See. But now the the only books that I put on it are like ones that look too heavy to hold. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, so, that makes sense though, and you can have Kindle on your phone as well. So that I do that quite a lot, So sort of just sit on the tube and read my novel, and you don't even have to have an extra device on top of your phone that you're going to carry with you. So that you know, it reduces your carrying even further.
0: It does, it does. The the other one that the other use case that was put, actually pointed out by somebody on the on this podcast hadn't really occurred to me but now is in my head is the book's got a really embarrassing cover
1: (laughs) I mean I mm, I don't know that I'd be bothered by that I think probably doing the job I do you become a bit desensitized to some quite graphic stuff in a healthy way not damaging stuff but you know I've done psychosexual courses and then you get the Recommended reading, and you're on the train. Maybe the book with a picture of a vlogger on the front, and you just sort of forget that that's not normal, and other people might find that strange.
0: Well, okay, so this, so it's either it, it's either read that stuff on a Kindle or just like do doing loads. Is I think is, is well, is, I mean, yeah.
1: get you, what as in do it loads and get used to it. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you get so used to talking to people about this stuff that. You forget that other people might have a slightly more reserved reaction <laughs> to it. But then, having said that, I do think a lot of that stuff's become quite normalized. And they talked about a book, if you watch the series Sex Education, they talked about that well, book, Apple, Come As You Are, which is a really great popular book. Normal, and, you know, it's really great at normalizing sex and people's ideas about sex. and their bodies. So actually I do think as a society, people are working harder to take the taboo out of things that shouldn't be taboo and to normalize people's feelings about their bodies and attitudes to relationship.
0: So um, you've already said that you you don't really have any particular interest in in kind of shiny new technology and things like that. So I'm really interested in what was the last... The last thing you bought or acquired that like got you really excited. What was your next like sh- shiny purchase?
1: I mean, this, this question gives me. I feel like I'm having a bit of an existential crisis because it's one of those where you start going: Have I ever bought anything useful? Have I ever bought anything interesting? Like, am I am I interested? Like, what is going on? I, do, I want, you know. I would want to have some really fun, excited answer. I think, dull as it is. It's probably my Gusto Mealbox subscription. But I think that is a really useful thing to have acquired, and especially as someone that works quite late sometimes because people want to see me after work, to be able to go home and make something idiot-proof where someone's measured all the ingredients out for you and it takes you 10 minutes, bit of a godsend.
0: So so this is one of the 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 kind of subscription style you get ingredients sent over and recipes type. yeah and you you make healthy home-cooked meals but you don't have to go you don't have like an extra half pepper kicking around yeah there's no way there's
1: a really good thing about it there's no waste and i really that i really appreciate as well
0: have you discovered um any new cuisines or dishes that you were not aware that you enjoyed as a result of doing this
1: See, I always—it's a really weird thing to say. I'm not a big fan of fruit in general.
0: No, I'm with you. I had a really nice apple in Manchester once, but but I yeah, it's fruit is not like a big a big part of my big part of my life.
1: It's sort of just a bit sweet and weird, like it should be chocolate, but it isn't. But I've discovered that I like there are different types of fruit that I like in savoury dishes. Like there was a dish once where there was a salsa that was made of mango and chili, and that is amazing. And I've actually realized fruit in salad with really sour or really spicy stuff is actually, that's the way forward. Like if you want me to eat a watermelon, stick it in a salad with some feta. Right. Pineapple and blue cheese. That's a weirdly good combination.
0: Okay, that's interesting.
1: It sounds gross, but it's really good.
0: One of the things that, that I always get funny looks about is over christmas when we have like crisp where we have christmas cakes so like fruit cake i really like to have like a kind of crumbly cheese like a crumbly like a lancashire or a wensleydale to go with that because it gives that sort of like slightly salty sort of bite to go against the richness of the the, the christmas cake and like, i guess there's a similar kind of blue cheese pineapple thing on there that's i've not come across that one before
1: yeah i like very weird, but I discovered that when I went to an immersive dinner experience that was all based around rolled Dahl's the Twits.
0: Okay, right. You're gonna you to have to. <laughs> you, 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 right, this definitely needs needs exploring a little bit more because that isn't a book that I think of as being particularly gastronomic.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was so good, and the way it was done it was so clever, and it was it was interesting. It was adults only. So it was a bunch of people, I guess, around our age who grew up with the books. Mm -hmm. Um, but you went into a room initially that was set up like their garden, the Twit's garden, the book. And you, I mean, you'd never be able to do this now, post COVID. You foraged for the food. So there were bird feeders hanging off the tree with nuts in them, and there were like rusty nails that had the piece of blue cheese and pineapple stuck in the wall and things hidden in the toolboxes in the shed and that's where you kind of accumulated your canapes before going <laughs> to the main room and then you know the the main course of dinner was a uh, chicken pie a bird pie with like the chicken claws sticking out the top of it but it was this all sounds grim but it was so tasty and it was all just very well done are there monkeys in the twits? I remember the one.
0: Yeah. When, when that was, when the, the, did that make an appearance in the dishes?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is, I mean, I don't want, if, they, if you think you'll ever go to it in the future, not that it exists at the moment, if it comes back to and cover your ears now, I think the big reason, one of the big reasons it was adults only is one of those monkeys ended up splattered on the wall at the very end in a very kind of, it was one of those moments where everyone sort of gasps. And he's shocked, and then there's a lot of awkward, nervous laughter. It was it was quite gross, but also quite entertaining.
0: That's wow, okay. I, I didn't even know that was a thing that existed. That sounds that sounds that does sound amazing. Children's auto food-related spoilers. There's probably a tag on iTunes. Probably, probably. probably exists. Fantastic. So final question, you ready? Yeah. The question is, please Caroline, could you Completely sentence, Do yourself a favor and
1: take a risk. I was going to do a really boring answer, or I think it's really boring. And I was going to say, do your research, because I think in order to take a risk, you have to take a calculated risk. You have to be kind of sensible and weigh up your options. And you know, nice and fitting because you and I met when we both worked in research. But ultimately the big part, the important part, the thing that has paid off for me in kind of my transitioning career, the research would be pointless without taking a risk. So I think, you know, the big bit for me is take a risk. Back yourself, take the risk.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, Caroline, where can people find you?
1: They can find me at cppclondon.com and or at Caroline at dot. London.com, sorry, on email if they want to send me any questions or find out any more.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you for coming and doing yourself a favour.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Not at all. It's been great. And we'll see you all again next time. you've been listening to do yourself a favor the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier brought to you by make work work better my name is tim from make work work better our theme tune is by the titanics talk to you again soon